Hello and welcome to HealthQuest, dedicated to nutrition and your good health. Support for HealthQuest has been provided by some of America's best nutritional companies. And now, HealthQuest, with your host, Steve Lankford. Hello, and welcome back to HealthQuest Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Lankford. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad you're here. I have another interesting interview for you today. We're going to continue our series with Mark Kaler. We've talked to Mark before on various interesting products, maitake mushrooms, and a little bit about his background. Today we're going to branch out into his history with other nutritional products and how you can help yourself with some of these very innovative products that you might not have heard about. Mark, welcome back to HealthQuest Podcast. Thanks. It's good to be back. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. I'm always learning something new. I know our listeners are as well. For our new listeners, tell us a little bit about your background. What got you involved in nutrition and especially helping people the way that you have? I've been involved in nutrition and natural products and natural healing. Yeah, I hate to date myself at this point, but for well over 30 years, I actually kind of backed into it. I was going to grad school, working on my PhD in sociology. I had to get a job. I started working in a health food store, and that just opened up a whole other world to me. One thing led to another. I changed my career path. I changed my education path. And I started to explore these things in as many ways as I possibly could. I've had a chance to study with a number of indigenous healers. I've spent some time in the rainforest in Peru studying with healers there. I studied with a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner in the mountains of China, conventional herbalism from the U.S. and from Europe. I studied when I was in North Carolina for a while with a Cherokee medicine man there. So I've tried to access as much information from as much different angles, putting it all together to help people on their healing path and really to try to take it a little further and not just focus on the disease orientation, the symptom relief. That certainly is important for us, particularly when we're sick, but to really try to maximize our health and vitality. I talk a lot about radiant health, really being the best person we can be, the best you you can be, the healthiest, the most energized, most motivated the most resilient person you can be, something I think is everybody's birthright. So I've just tried to explore that from as many possible avenues. I've been doing this now for quite a long time. I've had a chance to work in health food stores all over the country. I've worked for manufacturers. I've formulated products. I've been in practice with individuals working with a lot of late-stage cancer patients as well as what I call the unnameable and untreatable. These are people who have been diagnosed with something that they don't have a treatment for or haven't even been diagnosed with anything because they don't have a name for it. My practical or clinical background really has been focused on, in many ways, the more difficult disorders. I always kind of joke that it would have been nice for someone to come in with a cold or toenail fungus, but that's just not where my work and focus has been over the years. That's an interesting description, and I think I learned something new about you today that I didn't quite realize before. The idea that you can deal with somebody nutritionally for some set of symptoms or challenges that they face, some of which go undiagnosed, would suggest to me that when we're looking at nutrition as a tool to help people be healthier, 
we're not focusing on a disease so much as we're looking at a person and we're trying to nourish a person. My feeling has always been a person that's well-nourished will do better than a person that isn't. Whatever our state of health, we can move towards better nutrition. That's what I got out of what you described, that you must deal with people even if it doesn't have a name. To some extent, that shouldn't matter because we don't deal in the area of disease. We deal in the area of how to improve structure and function in the body. I think that must be what you are focusing on. Elaborate on that for me. I found that very intriguing. Absolutely. This is one of the things I always talk about when I talk to health food retailers or even health food consumers is what we do best is really maximizing our health and vitality. That's the strong points. We can bring some things to the table, simply that pharmaceutical medicine, that allopathic medicine just is not able to. They have nothing like Hawthorne, for instance, that can raise or lower blood pressure as needed. They have nothing like cordyceps, which can strengthen a number of systems in the body, kidneys, lungs, heart. They work from a completely different modality perspective, and they're trying to do very, very different things. I really think the natural products industry and alternative medicine, for lack of a better word, It really behooves us to work and play with our strengths. I certainly agree exactly with what you're saying, that a better nourished body, a better nourished system is much more resilient. I've seen this certainly in cancer patients. The people who are better nourished are able to deal with and handle stronger doses when it comes to the conventional therapies related to cancer, chemotherapy being a good example of that, that people that have taken care of their body, that are nourishing it, giving it what it needs, listening to their body, they don't have as severe, oftentimes, side effects that are associated with many of these drugs. And this, I think, goes across the board. The healthier we are, the more resilient we can be, the more responsive we can be. And even if we are taking pharmaceuticals, it gives those pharmaceuticals a little leg up. In many cases, there's some nice adjunct therapies. The maitake defractions, which we've talked about, has worked very well as an adjunct therapy. So I think that's really key. You mentioned the nutrition aspect to it. My work certainly is not limited to the nutrition aspect. I'm a big supporter and believer of needing to walk the holistic path when it relates to health and healing, and we really need to incorporate everything. My first sit-down with a client can be two or three hours because we talk about everything, not just what they're eating, what supplements and things they're taking. We talk about their past, their lifestyle. Are they happy? Are they moving? Do they like their job? That's an interesting thing. One of the best predictors for how long we're going to live is, are you happy at your work? There are lots of variables that come into the mix when we talk about maximizing our health and vitality, nutrition, lifestyle, diet, movement, our thought patterns, having some sort of spiritual life or practice. All of these things, I think, are really key. The other thing that kind of intrigued me with what you're saying is how I work with what I call the unnameable. I have a little bit of an issue with the idea of even labeling diseases that we do. We talk about cancer, diabetes, colds, flus respiratory infections, whatever we may be. The problem I have with that is when we do that, as you kind of alluded to, we start really focusing on the disease and less on the person. And I think that's really quite a profound difference. I really want to get the focus back on the person. What's going on with that person? What needs to be done with that person? Instead of pigeonholing them, putting them in a box saying, okay, you have this disorder, you have this disease, I'm automatically going to give you A, B, C, and D. I think we need to get away from that approach. I think we're talking about, again, our radiant health and get back to listening to the person, listening to the body, 
finding out what they need, because what you need may be a little different from what I need. I may be low on magnesium. You could be low on zinc. So to give us the same protocol for diabetes treatment wouldn't make sense in that regard. So I think it's really key that we do, as you mentioned, treat the person, work with the person, talk with the person, interact, and then move along in that process with the person rather than doing all those things with a disease, a symptom, or disorder. Well, I think it's fair to make for our listeners a distinction here because I think this is a distinction that's often missed. We try to emphasize this a lot on HealthQuest when we talk to experts like yourself. Medical practice prescription drugs, they are a particular type of therapy that does address disease. Nutrition is designed to address the body's health, to supply critical, essential nutrients that the body can appropriate and do different things. Drugs are not nutrients. Nutrients are not drugs. So let's not confuse the two, but let's also not confuse what it is that we're trying to do. We're trying to help a body be healthier. God willing and with good luck, better nutrition will lead to better outcomes for people, even if they have a medical condition, even if they're being treated with any of a number of different kinds of therapies. So to make that distinction, we want it to be clear because we want it to carry beyond this particular interview for our listeners to understand nutrition is one thing, medicine and disease is another. People can appropriate both as is necessary and right. For medical things, consult your doctor. Work with them because that's what they do. But for nutrition, seek out people people like Mark Kaler, who have a particular interest in helping people become better nourished. That's my little soapbox for today, Mark. Let's carry on with our intended topic. You and I have talked before about a very serious issue that is almost epidemic in the U.S., and that's diabetes and blood sugar problems. Now, diabetes is a medical condition. Work with your doctor if you have diabetes. But anybody who has blood sugar issues can find that there is a broad array of nutritional approaches that have been successful in helping people support a healthy blood sugar level. That's what we're seeking is a better way to be healthy. So, Mark, lead us on a discussion of this. Give us an introduction to the challenges of blood sugar issues. I would actually, to start off, take a little exception to your phrasing of almost epidemic. I would say that it's gone well beyond that. The issue of blood sugar and insulin-related conditions, I think, have actually transcended the epidemic and our pandemic because they are far-reaching. Diabetes alone, something like 25 million Americans have been diagnosed with diabetes. It's the fourth leading cause of disease death. That alone impacts and affects a lot of people. But when we're talking about blood sugar and insulin conditions, we're not just talking about that. We can be talking about the aging process. High blood sugar levels, high insulin levels are very pro-inflammatory. They contribute to the aging process. There's another condition that many people aren't familiar with called metabolic syndrome or syndrome X. That is kind of a cross cardiovascular and endocrine blood sugar condition that is rampant in our country. I think estimates have said that roughly 25% of Americans have full-blown syndrome X or metabolic syndrome, I doubt you can find many other diseases that one out of four people are actually suffering from. 
Also, blood sugar and insulin-related conditions are closely related to cardiovascular disease. It's actually been estimated that half of all people suffering from cardiovascular disease, that it's not really a heart condition, it actually is fundamentally an endocrine or blood sugar and insulin imbalance and condition. Obesity, we certainly know, can tie into this. When we talk about insulin blood sugar-related conditions, we're really talking about a wide array of disorders that get down fundamentally to some very common traits, which makes it, again, wonderful for us, as we were talking to in the beginning, because it allows us to work with the functioning of the body, to improve the functioning of the body, to give the body the nutrients it needs. And we know, particularly with diabetes, that several nutrients, if the body's deficient of it, dramatically increases our risk for diabetes. We can really work with the body, giving it what it needs, supporting it, working with certain organ systems, working against free radicals, and profoundly impact and help balance and bring about healthy blood sugar and insulin levels. You mentioned this metabolic syndrome or syndrome X. Could you describe what does that look like? What are some of the common elements that if somebody's listening to this and they go, wow, that sounds like me, they have a picture. Tell us what that metabolic syndrome looks like. There are actually some laboratory studies people can do that have to do with getting triglycerides and blood pressure and cholesterol. But one of the nice things, I guess, so to speak, about metabolic syndrome is that there are some things that can be pretty clearly indicative and make it easier for us to do a self-diagnosis. The first and foremost is body shape. If we have the apple shape, if we have the classic American beer gut, that's a strong indication that the body is insulin resistant, and that's one of the profound elements of metabolic syndrome. So if we have that beer belly, men or women, you know, if we're a little larger around the belly than we are at the hips, then that's a good indication. Another intriguing thing is that if we tend to crave sweets after a meal, so you sit down and you even have maybe the most perfect meal there is. Everything is completely healthy. Everything's organic. But after the meal, you kind of think to yourself, this would be absolutely perfect if I could just have a bite or two of some cookie, a cake, some sort of sweet. Again, that's a strong indication that the body has developed this insulin resistance and we are either pre-diabetic or in this metabolic syndrome condition. Another good indicator is if we start craving sweets at night. So 10 or 11 at night, you kind of get the cravings for some candy, some potato chips, refined carb or sugar. That's another really good indicator that there is some sort of imbalance going on that's related to insulin levels. It can be metabolic syndrome, and it can also be what they call pre-diabetes. And to some individuals, we may be actually diabetic. I don't remember what the exact percentage is, but a large number of diabetics out there haven't even been diagnosed. Unfortunately, there are a lot of us out there walking around that are diabetics that have just not been diagnosed with it yet. Well, that's an interesting comment because, of course, blood sugar levels are not something that somebody easily knows without going to see their doctor. But some of the other things that you described would be things that people might be able to observe. So if somebody listening is going, wow, yes, I do that every night, then they might have a reason to look further into it. Yes, I have that kind of body shape. Yes, I have those kinds of proportions or those kinds of cravings. So these observable things might help somebody figure this out before it becomes a more serious problem than it already is. That's really key. And that's one of the nice things about having these self-diagnostic tools available to us. Because certainly the earlier in the game we get to these things, obviously the much better. And in some ways, the simpler, easier the process is in bringing the body back to a point in balance. 
when we're talking about these blood sugar and insulin levels, we have to remember that this is a continuum process. The disease that we call diabetes doesn't happen. You don't wake up tomorrow and you're a diabetic. This is something that takes place over years, if not decades and things. Being attentive to this as early as possible can make a huge difference. It's also a lot easier to correct in the sense that I mentioned this concept of insulin resistance. And what that really is, is that the cells in our body basically are no longer responding to insulin. And the body has to keep secreting more and more insulin to try to get those cells to make that response. If we can catch that earlier in the game, it's much easier to increase that sensitivity of those cells in our body so we can really remedy and correct the situation in a much quicker and easier manner. Again, I think it's really important, too, when we relate to particularly type 2 diabetes, the process of type 2 diabetes is where the body can no longer utilize insulin effectively. Eventually, it can get to a point where the body can't even produce enough insulin to overcome this resistance and things. Fundamentally, type 2 diabetes, for the vast majority of people who have it, it's a lifestyle disorder. It's the fact that we're sitting around on our rear ends too much. We're not moving. We're not exercising. Stress levels are through the roof. We're eating way too many refined carbohydrates. We have the donut for breakfast. We have a candy bar mid-morning as a snack. We throw some sugar in our coffee. We have pasta for dinner. We have bread in our sandwiches for lunch. We're constantly eating and taking in these carbs and refined carbohydrates and sugars. Again, this stuff is something that destabilizes. It throws the body out of balance all the way down to a cellular level. When we talk about it, again, to me, we say type 2 diabetes. The first thing is it's a disease. Everybody thinks it's a disease. But in my mind, it really is much more a lifestyle disorder. And when we bring that lifestyle back to order, back to balance, incredible things start to happen for people. Well, it's a very encouraging message, and you've done a really good job of describing what sets the stage for this. Because what we need people to realize is that there are things that you can do that can dramatically shift that. And that's what we're going to talk about. What are some of those steps? I think it's really important to look at the diet because it would suggest to me that whatever other options are available to you, whether they be the drugs that the medical profession might prescribe for you or the supplements that you might take, if you are not fundamentally changing your diet, you're not really going to be successful in the long term. And changing the diet in and of itself may preclude the need to do other things. Do I have that right? Absolutely. I think there are two things that are absolutely essential and fundamental to bringing balance to blood sugar and insulin-related conditions. And the first is exactly what you're saying, diet. We have to change that. If we're continually taking in the refined carbohydrates and the refined sugars, you're always destabilizing the body. So even if you're on pharmaceutical drugs or you're taking natural remedies to help bring some relief to it, it's another one of those situations where it's a step forward, it's a step backward. So unless you correct the cause, the root of the issue, diet being one of the primary components of that, the other, I think, being exercise and movement, you're never really going to get very far with it. So making those dietary corrections are absolutely essential. It starts first and foremost with the simple, obvious thing, cut out those refined sugars, cut out those refined carbohydrates. Again, that alone in people's lives can have a huge impact. I've worked with individuals who have no sign of blood sugar and insulin-related conditions that have been suffering from some emotional disorder, let's say depression. When we correct that blood sugar level, that 
decreasing the consumption of sugars and carbs, the depression actually is cleared up in many cases. And I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, obviously, because it's a much more complex and it can involve so many other things, brain chemistry, endocrine imbalance, and other things. But for many people, just correcting and eliminating those sugars into our system is profoundly impacting on our health, our immune health, and even on our longevity. It's incredibly impactful. And the medical treatments and the nutritional supplements cannot do for people what they're unwilling to do for themselves. If they don't want to change their diet, they're unwilling, and they're unwilling to get some exercise, then they can't get the benefits that those would provide. The other treatments can't do that for them either. This is for people who really want to take charge of their health. First and foremost, lay a good foundation because that is the profound message that our whole industry has been predicated on is that better nutrition leads to better health. It starts with the diet. I don't think there's anybody who would argue with that. Well, let's look, though, at some of the supplements and the nutrients that have been shown to be helpful for managing and maintaining healthy blood sugar levels. Give us an overview. Actually, if I can, just a comment on the diet compound. We're not talking about anything really extreme. You don't have to go into a super crazy diet. We're talking about really just cutting back or eliminating as much as you can those refined carbohydrates and sugars eating more fruits and vegetables. Some people think, hey, fruits, I can't eat fruits because they're high in sugar. Believe it or not, there are studies that show that people who eat three servings of fresh fruits a day can significantly decrease the risk for type 2 diabetes and close to 20% decrease in risk. Basically, just eating good, wholesome foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, have some proteins at meals, balanced fats. It amazes me sometimes when you start talking to people about this, because they start getting really worried that they're going to have this really difficult and bland and boring diet. And that's certainly not the case. We're talking about some simple changes. Just adding more green leafy vegetables to your diet, which are high in fiber. They virtually have no impact on raising your blood sugar levels. They're antioxidant rich. They're nutrient dense. Those have been shown to decrease your risk of type 2 diabetes by 14%. Making some simple adjustments, adding a handful of nuts on a daily basis, Again, quite profound. There's the nurses' study, which is one of the longest studies that have been done, actually showed that the women in the study who ate nuts roughly five times a week had almost a 27% reduced risk of type 2 diabetes. Certainly, there are tremendous things we can do in reducing our risk and then correcting that imbalance once it does happen. The nurses' study is another good example of that. I mentioned that using it five times a week can be preventative. The nurses that were already diagnosed with type 2 diabetes who ate nuts five times a week, they had a 47% reduced risk of heart disease, which is a big issue as it relates to diabetics. It can profoundly impact their health on a number of other levels as well. Well, that's really the point is that these nutrients that we get from food, whether you eat nuts or you eat tomatoes or you eat some piece of fruit, all of these things are rich in thousands of phytochemical nutrients that nourish our body in one way or another. To enjoy and appreciate the benefits of this wide array of nutrients, you have to eat those kinds of foods. That can't simply be done by taking a vitamin pill. As valuable as these nutrients are, these adjunct nutrients that we're going to talk about, they cannot possibly nor should they be intended to replace a good diet. When people can't see that, that's part of the reason that we have these problems. 
people don't think of food in terms of how it can impact their health. Too often they've seen the message that eat whatever you want. The food is not the important thing. So they don't necessarily assume. So we have to reach those in our audience that do understand that. And you're doing a great job of articulating a lifestyle that is going to lead to better health. Let's move on, though, to the supplements and nutrients, because this is where we can really have some targeted effect on our metabolism. Give us an overview of those nutrients that are good for sugar levels. There are a number of things that can help our body keep those blood sugar and insulin levels in better balance. I think for most of us, if we just get a really good multiple vitamin mineral, and I really want to emphasize the mineral because those are really key when we start getting into how sugar is actually processed and utilized by the body, it can have a significant impact in this regard. So I think getting all the fundamentals is really key because there are so many different things that can be effective. First and foremost is chromium. I'm sure most everybody who knows they have a blood sugar or insulin-related problem know that they should be taking chromium. The body basically has to have chromium for it to effectively utilize insulin. So if you're chromium deficient, the body's not utilizing insulin properly, then your body's not getting sugar into the cells. Sugar's not going into the cells and it's going into circulation. It's creating fat, creating free radical damage. You can do a number of things. Another mineral, which many people may not even be familiar with that's essential for the human body, is manganese. Deficiencies of manganese have been shown to cause a number of problems, not just with carbohydrate metabolism, but also with pancreatic abnormalities. The pancreas is that organ in the body that is producing the insulin. Pancreatic health is absolutely essential. Manganese is very important for a type of SOD, which is a naturally occurring antioxidant in the body. So you have to have it for that. Zinc deficiencies have been closely related to diabetes, probably because diabetics, they're urinating a lot. A lot of zinc is being passed from the system. The same thing with magnesium. Magnesium deficiencies may dramatically increase risk of diabetes and also make the condition more severe. It's involved in a number of enzymatic pathways. It actually helps facilitate getting glucose out of the blood into the cells, similar to what chromium does, but a slightly different mechanism. It may improve that insulin resistance. It may improve HbA1c levels, which is glycosylated hemoglobin. That can have a dramatic impact. Something that I'm sure many people may not even be aware of, vitamin K1 has actually been shown to be useful in increasing insulin sensitivity, specifically in older men. It gets to the point that we really need to be getting all the nutrients into the body so the body can metabolically do what it's supposed to be doing. And absolutely, B vitamins are essential, particularly biotin, Niacin, there's a tremendous amount of research there. There is a particular form of niacin called niacinamide. There's actually some evidence to suggest that in young children who are at high risk for type 1 diabetes, where it may run in the family so they know that there's a genetic proclivity for it, that it may actually prevent these children from becoming type 1 diabetics. B12 is really useful as far as diabetic neuropathy. Making sure we're getting all those B vitamins are absolutely essential. And then because, as I mentioned before, both blood sugar and insulin are pro-inflammatory. They can create a lot of free radicals, a lot of oxidation in the system. Getting key antioxidants into the body are, are key. CoQ10, absolutely alpha-lipoic acid. There's a ton of research over a broad range of applications for alpha-lipoic acid as it relates to balanced blood sugar and insulin and conditions that are related to that. Certainly a potent antioxidant. It protects the cardiovascular system. 
It may improve that insulin sensitivity. It may improve the uptake of sugar into the cells and the sugar being burned as fuel. It may have a protective action on the pancreatic beta cells, which are the cells that actually produce it. Again, there are so many different things that can be useful from that nutritional standpoint, that functional standpoint, getting a really good, strong multivitamin, again, emphasizing mineral into the mix is key. I got to add, you're not going to find that in a one a day. And I would say not even in a three a day. I like those multiples that are six a day. In fact, I take a multiple that I think is 14 a day. So making sure we get as many of those nutrients in our diet and then supplementing it, I think are absolutely key, certainly preventative, and then trying to correct the functions and things that are going on in the body. If somebody begins a program like this, what's a reasonable length of time that they might be able to see some practical difference? It is going to depend on the individual. As I mentioned, this whole process of insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, it's a prolonged, gradual process that happens in the body. If you're catching it early in the phase, you may actually start noticing difference in my mind in maybe not days, but certainly in weeks, you may start seeing some of the benefits, moods balancing out, energy levels picking up, some of the swings kind of balancing in the body. But if you've been diagnosed with full-blown diabetes, there's a lot of cardiovascular damage, your pancreas is barely keeping up with the process, you may be talking about six months, a year, maybe even a couple of years. So it really depends on where you fall in regards to that continuum, how much damage has been done, how much resistance has built up in the cells, how effective is your pancreas, how much inflammation and cardiovascular damage has occurred in the process. It's going to depend, again, specifically to where you are in that process. Well, is it ever too late? No, actually, I don't think it is. I mentioned in type 2 diabetes, the extreme end of that is basically where the pancreas shuts down because it can no longer keep up with it. It's worn out. It's just been working too hard. You know, it's like an engine. If you run an engine in a car too hard for too long, eventually that engine dies. And the same thing can kind of happen to the pancreas. And same in type 1 diabetes. There you have an autoimmune disorder where the body has actually attacked and destroyed many of those key cells in the pancreas as it relates to balancing blood sugar and insulin. I've even seen in those cases where you're talking about an extreme where a lot of damage has been done, where there's no longer apparently any functionality of the pancreas. I've seen those cases turn around quite significantly. But again, they take a lot longer. They take a lot more diligence. You can't cheat all weekend with your candy and then go back to the routine during the week. But for individuals who are willing to do those things, make those nutritional steps, start an exercise program, start doing the things they know that they need to be doing, can profoundly impact. What's intriguing there is there's some real promising research of late that suggests in many of these cases that the pancreas may not actually be dead as they thought it was. They thought it was basically shut down. It was no longer functioning. That the pancreas may actually be kind of in a sleep state, a coma, so to speak. We may have that ability to wake up and stimulate, rebuild that pancreas into, if not exactly what it used to be in a healthy fashion, certainly into functioning. So maybe you need to use a lot less medications. And maybe you can even eventually at one day come off. I definitely don't think there's ever a time when repair, rebalancing, and correction can be, if not healing, certainly can be impacting as far as the quality and the level of our health. And that gives everybody some optimism that they can be better than they are. And it harkens back to our earlier point. A body that's well-nourished will likely do better than one that isn't. Even in these very serious conditions, the body is always trying to function better, heal, and repair. 
Let's move on to another class of products that might be useful for our listeners. And this is the plants, the botanicals. I know there are herbs. I know there are mushrooms. Lead us in a discussion of these kinds of nutrients and foods. They're kind of like foods. Tell us about the benefits of those plant compounds. That's one of the nice things is that there are a large number of botanical allies or healing herbal allies that can support us in the process, that can help correct, help rebalance, that can help lower blood sugar levels. Again, there are so many that I could probably go on for several hours talking about this. But just to mention a few, there's an herb called Indian Kino or dragon's blood. That actually has been shown to regenerate the functioning of those pancreatic beta cells that we were talking about, and it can protect those beta cells from damage. Bitter melon, which is getting more and more recognition and a greater body of research on it, while it has some other benefits as far as cancer and things go, bitter melon is a wonderful herb for lowering those blood sugar levels. It has an insulin-like compound in there, so maybe the body doesn't have to produce as much insulin. Another herb I like a lot is an herb called gymnema or gymnema sylvestra. This is a really nice herb that if you take it in liquid form or make a tea out of it, when it actually touches the taste buds in your tongue, it decreases our cravings for sweet. Certainly when you're trying to get somebody off of that sugar addiction, and I very much think it is an addiction, being able to satisfy that sweet craving, it can be quite helpful. So you can take a little gymnema extract or gymna tea, just swish it around in your mouth a lot for a little bit, and it'll decrease those cravings. It may improve the insulin's effectiveness in the body. It may increase insulin levels. It may have some pancreatic actions to it. Ginseng, I think, is a wonderful herb here because it's going to help balance and strengthen the whole endocrine system. We have to remember insulin is a hormone. All these hormones interact, so keeping that in balance is really key. Cinnamon is beginning a ton of press lately. That may actually increase the burning of sugar for fuel, so the body's actually burning it up rather than storing it and creating problems with it. It also has a compound in there that's an insulin mimic, so it acts kind of like insulin does in the body. And again, those are just a handful of, I think, the remedies that are out there and useful. For me, one of the most intriguing is the discoveries that are fairly recent and new, and that is of a compound called SX fraction that's derived from the maitake mushroom that shows some real intriguing, promising, and clinically-based research as far as helping create that insulin and blood sugar balance. Well, one of the things that we're always interested in is looking at that science. And I know that this is one of particular interest. I know a lot of people who have actually used a product with SX fraction in it quite successfully. That's one of the reasons I want to explore it with you as well. Give us an overview of this SX fraction. It's a compound that's derived from the maitake mushroom. It is different compounds. It's a different part of the mushroom than the maitake D fraction, which is probably the best known extraction from the maitake mushroom. It's a glycoprotein that's unique to the mushroom. It's been shown first in laboratory and animal studies and later in clinical studies to lower both blood sugar and insulin. And I emphasize the word and here because diabetes, a lot of these issues, cardiovascular-related diseases, even blood sugar-related conditions, they're not just about blood sugar. They're about balancing both blood sugar and insulin. What's key about the SX fraction is that it lowers both blood sugar and insulin levels. One of the first studies that was done was done at Georgetown University. They actually found that a single dose of the SX fraction of the maitake mushroom decreased blood sugar levels for roughly 16 hours. So its effects were felt over a prolonged period of time. In another study right after that, they did dosing where they gave the SX fraction twice a day for seven days. 
and they saw that blood sugar levels were decreased by roughly 30%, and insulin levels were decreased by roughly 60%. So again, a very profound effect in a fairly short period of time. That led to later research done at New York Medical College. Interestingly enough, a researcher there who had just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, he had done some work with the maitake mushroom for its immune-stimulating benefits with the maitake defraction. He knew that there was some work being done with regards to the maitake mushroom for type 2 diabetes, and he actually did a small little clinical trial, five, six, seven people, I don't remember which, both men and women, a variety of ages, and he did a test there, and he showed that it significantly decreased blood sugar levels. The lowest decrease was roughly 30%. The best decrease in fasting blood glucose was roughly 63%. There was the first clinical study that we saw using the SX fraction, showing really dramatic benefits, and again, in a fairly short period of time. While you may not necessarily physiologically or mentally be aware of those blood sugar levels, certainly what's going on in your body, your body is aware of it. Again, it's bringing things back into balance. Fundamentally, what we believe was happening is we talk about that insulin resistance being built up. What is happening now is the cells are becoming more sensitive to insulin. They're more responsive to insulin. What that means is sugar no longer goes into circulation. It gets taken up into the cell, gets burned for fuel, which is why it's there, what it's, what it's designed for. So that works out well. It means that the pancreas doesn't have to produce as much insulin. So our insulin levels stay down low. Our pancreas doesn't get as tired and exhausted and eventually worn out. So it really goes to a fundamental level of correcting things on a cellular level making the body more responsive, making the cells more responsive to insulin. So sugar is burned and insulin levels stay low. Well, it would seem to make sense that if somebody wanted to seriously address a blood sugar or a metabolic syndrome issue, that they would want to look at something like the SX fraction because, one, you're going to see the benefits fairly quickly. But we also want to emphasize, even if you see results from the SX fraction, that doesn't mean that you should not employ these other avenues of success as well. You can't use that success as an excuse not to change your diet or not to exercise. I'm sure that would be your position. Absolutely. That's a great point. I'm really glad you made it because changing the diet and changing our activity levels those are the things that are going to really correct things on that fundamental functional level. These supplements are going to supplement and support that process. By no means do any of these things replace those things. Well, Mark, are there any warnings or contraindications that people should be aware of? The one thing you need to be aware of is that the SX fraction has been shown to lower blood sugar levels. So if you're on medications that are already helping lower blood sugar levels, you need to be aware that it's possible, theoretically, to lower your blood sugar levels too low. The nice thing about that is generally we have warning signs. If we lower our blood sugar levels too low, when we stand up, we get a little dizzy, lightheaded and things. There are indications. So everything needs to be adjusted accordingly. The other nice thing about it, too, is people who have blood sugar and insulin-related conditions are actually taking a test two, three, four times a day. They're doing the blood sugar tests. They can actually get a measure of it, and they can actually adjust everything accordingly to those levels. The concern there really is you need to be careful that when you're taking drugs and natural remedies to do the same things, that you're really pushing the body in one direction. So you just need to be aware. You don't want to push it too far. Actually, a side note, thinking about the drugs and things that are used, in one of the studies, the maitake was actually compared to a pharmaceutical drug. He actually found in the short term, 
it had basically the same benefits as far as lowering blood sugar and lowering insulin levels. What was intriguing, though, is in the long term, over several months, the maitake mushroom was actually more effective than the pharmaceutical drug at lowering blood sugar levels without some of the negative side effects that can be associated with the pharmaceuticals. And this is the SX fraction we're talking about? Yes, it is the SX fraction from the maitake mushroom. Well, let me just once again suggest to our listeners, if you're working with a doctor or a physician or any healthcare provider, work with them as you add a nutrient like the SX fraction, because you're already under somebody's care. They're monitoring you. It's only fair to let them work with you in this process. If you don't need a doctor yet and you just are acting in a preventive way, there are these glucose monitors that you can see where you're at and you can track your progress and you can see the effect of these things. Then you can make the necessary adjustments. We all want everybody to do these things in a safe and responsible manner. When necessary, when appropriate, work with your healthcare provider. Well, Mark, we're very near the end of our time. This has been an extensive interview and very interesting. I'd like to give you the last word. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that you want to make sure that our listeners hear? Yeah, a couple of things real briefly. One is that by improving that insulin sensitivity that we're talking about, you get cardiovascular benefits. The SX fraction has been shown through lower blood pressure, lower triglycerides, lower total cholesterol levels, lower LDL cholesterol So it has that added benefit, which is really key, certainly in blood sugar-related conditions and giving us a little bit of that extra cardiovascular support. And on a completely different level, which is somewhat related, though, to insulin levels, there's a condition called polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, and there are now two or three clinical trials that have been done using the Maitake SX fraction for PCOS and seeing dramatic improvement in women in relief from a number of levels of discomfort and improving it and improving fertility, getting rid of the cysts on a number of different levels. There's been some real intriguing research with the SX fraction that shows a lot of promise for PCOS in some methods and actions that we have knowledge of, particularly with insulin levels. But there appear to be some as yet to be discovered actions that the SX is affecting in the body that are bringing benefit for PCOS. This is profound because the leading cause of infertility for women is polycystic ovary syndrome. This is a nice natural remedy. It's been studied in comparison to pharmaceuticals as a comparison, you know, one versus the other, and they're fairly similar. But interestingly enough, they've actually been shown that they work even better together. So people who may be using conventional therapies combining the SX with the pharmaceutical may be even more effective for women with PCOS. Well, that's an intriguing topic for a future discussion because I know that if there's research to be done, you'll be in touch with it and you'll be able to tell us the significance of this research as it matures. So thank you for that teaser. That's also a heads up for women who may be facing this issue that, yes, there is something very specific and you can certainly look for more information on that as well. Well, Mark Kaler, it's been most interesting As always, I'd like to thank you very much for being my guest today here on HealthQuest. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. I enjoy being here. I look forward to our next conversation. Until then, take care. Have a great day. Well, that's it for me. I'm all out of time. I've got to go. I'll be back with another interesting HealthQuest podcast. I'll be talking to Mark Kaler about lion's mane mushroom for Alzheimer's, dementia, and even schizophrenia. So I hope you'll join me. Until then, make it a good week. I'm your host, Steve Lankford. 
Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.